We just sang a hymn about God's gifts of grace that he gives to us and also serving him always. And so I want to share a message with you today and ask you a question. What are your gifts for ministry? You know, once upon a time, there was a wonderful church that suddenly found itself in trouble. You see, after an exciting season of growth, things just didn't seem to be working out well as they had done before. And for one thing, many people were coming in who were new, and they came from very different backgrounds, culturally and religiously. And they didn't understand how things had always been done in a particular church they were coming to. And it brought a whole new set of needs and ideas that came with them. Well, as a result, some of the members, they began to resent those newcomers. And they felt like their church was changing and they couldn't control it. And with the newer folks, especially those from different cultural backgrounds, well, they felt like they were being left out and that their needs and their ideas, that they were being overlooked. And at times, the leaders were so preoccupied with all that church growth that was going on that they lost track of what was really important. Some folks felt that the teaching ministry of the church wasn't as strong as it used to be. And others felt that there should be more emphasis on prayer. Prayer as we even talked about it here today. There were stories of people falling through the cracks and they were being overlooked. And the leaders, they were feeling just overwhelmed and just felt that they couldn't keep up with it all. They didn't know what to do next. And it was a very unsettling time. And the future of that congregation seemed to be in peril. Now, you may be guessing that that church I'm talking about may be one that you grew up in, or perhaps one you came from, or maybe it's a church of someone you know. Those are good guesses. But the church I'm talking about is the New Testament church, that early church that was there in those opening chapters in the book of Acts. And that early church, it was experiencing growth in every direction, deeper, closer, and even wider. And there's a balanced type of ministry going on of discipleship, of outreach, worship, and community. And in Acts chapter 4, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. But then we come to chapter 6 of Acts, and things begin to unravel here. We see unmet needs, overworked type of leaders, unsettling changes and even splits within the congregation. And what we'll discover is that the problems that threatened that early church, well, it's threatened every church ever since, too, in history. And that handling of those problems really determines whether a church is going to thrive, for example, or it's going to collapse. So let's look at that book of Acts here. In those days when the number of disciples are increasing, there were the Grecian Jews among them. And they complained that the Hebraic or Hebrew Jews were ignoring their widows of the Grecians. And they were being overlooked, they said, in the daily distribution of even food. So the twelve gathered the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. 
And we will turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give them our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so that proposal, it pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Right from the beginning, we find that this is a church that is going to be having some trouble in paradise. Some of the church members are complaining about what's going on. And I know it's hard to imagine church members complaining, but it was happening even in the early church. <laughs> yeah. There were several reasons for their complaints. The first and most obvious one was that those people's needs were being overlooked. The widows in particular, not receiving the help they needed. And we know that since widows weren't generally able to provide for themselves, and that there was not a man to help them out, it was the responsibility of the church, the faith community, to care for these widows. But with all this growth that's going on in the church, well, the needs of the widows that the apostles were to take care of, the apostles just couldn't keep up with them all. And what made the problem even more difficult was that the growing split of the congregation between those Hebrew Jews and the Grecian Jews, well, it was those Hebrew Jews, they were deep into that Jewish culture and tradition. And the Grecian Jews, they were a little more attuned to what was going on in the culture and their practice and outlook. And there was prejudice. There was resentment even among both groups toward each other. That situation had become so difficult that the leaders, they really didn't know what to do. And they just were trying to meet everyone's needs, but they couldn't keep up. In fact, they were even neglecting their primary responsibility to be spiritual leaders. And the teaching and the worship life of the church, it began to suffer. This was no small problem in that church. If the leaders and the congregation didn't figure out what was going to happen, well, then there was the potential that that would split the congregation, or at least it was going to derail their mission that they would be on, which was their purpose as followers of Christ. Every growing church has encountered the same problems as those. In fact, we often refer to those as growing pains in the church. And when a church grows, it changes. The workload increases. There's tension between the newcomers and the long-timers. And every growing church also is going to have moments like this, when members are troubled, when leaders are overwhelmed. Everything seems to be changing. And how leaders and people respond to moments like these are going to show whether that church is going to continue to thrive or it's going to become stagnant or even decline. Thankfully, at this critical moment in early church history, well, the apostles made a bold and decisive decision there, an innovative one. The apostles decided to give away the ministry. They said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
at that critical moment, the apostles realized that they could not meet everyone's needs. And they saw that they shouldn't even try. And it wasn't that the people's needs were important. It wasn't also that the apostles were above you know, these people and that you know, they shouldn't wait on tables. I'm sure they found it quite satisfying to be helping people in such practical and personal ways. But when they came to realize that they were trying to do it all by themselves, well, they found that they not only could not keep up with it, but they were neglecting their primary responsibility as those spiritual leaders of the people. They were depriving also other members to have the opportunity to serve. And so they decided to share that work of ministry with others. So it says these words, Peter, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we'll give this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. If you go back and you look at Acts chapters 2 through 5, you'll see all types of wonderful things happening. Worship, caring, teaching and outreach. And the only problem is that the apostles, they were doing it all. The apostles preached. The apostles decided things. The apostles healed. They handed out money. It was Peter this or John that in those chapters. But in Acts chapter 6, the game changes. And with the help of the congregation, they choose seven men to take responsibility, to care for those widows and also other practical needs. The word service is not even mentioned once in that passage in the English. But in the Greek, that word of serve is there three times. And there's also the symbolic act of empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They were given that power by God to do that. And so the apostles, they laid their hands on them, and they commissioned them for ministry. That decision would change the way that God works, and it would be done in a way in which the world would be transformed. From now on, ministry would be in the hands of the people, all the people. And we begin to read of all kinds of people doing ministry, You know, later in this chapter, well, Stephen begins to preach. In chapter 8, Philip becomes an evangelist. Chapter 9, there's a man named Saul who gets into the mix as Jesus meets him and he becomes that great preacher and writer, Paul. And later in chapter 9, another surprising thing happens. A woman's name is now listed as being mentioned in a ministry context. Dorcas, the seamstress, soon to be followed by Lydia and Priscilla, the teacher, and Philip's daughters who prophesied. It was the beginning of a new day in the life of the church. It would be a ministry that would be placed in the hands of ordinary men and women. And look at what happens. We see that the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem now increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even, those Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. It's a vibrant, growing church once again. Why? Because people are getting involved in ministry. And that leads us to our big idea for today. 
which is that the church is meant to be a a service-based church where everyone exercises his or her given heart for ministry. We know that as a church, we want to serve and also take care of more people in more places. And we need to get better at getting believers trained to be able to discover, to make use of those gifts that God has given each of us. We know that it's not for the church's benefit solely, but it's for the benefit of the individual. Because we know that one of the best ways to go deeper into your faith is to get involved in ministry. Get into that word even more. And you'll see why God's calling you to those places. The best way to get close to people is to serve together. Now, there's a tool that can help us discover, really, our God-given heart for ministry. If you look at Acts chapter 6, you'll notice that these leaders didn't just ask for volunteers to help out, and they didn't choose just the first seven warm bodies that were there. They thoughtfully chose men who were qualified and given wisdom for a particular needed ministry. These men were given power by the Spirit. And notice that they also had Greek names, meaning that they had compassion for and also connections with those Grecian believers who were feeling left out. In the same way, you can also find the particular areas of ministry for which God has equipped each one of you. Why? Well, because it helps you to know where you can best effectively serve the Lord where you can find the most joy in serving Christ also. Let me show you how this tool works. It's called a heart for ministry. And the first letter, H, stands for heart, your personal passion for ministry. What excites you? What breaks your heart? What dream or problem is keeping you awake at night? Well, maybe you're passionate about a particular type of group. It might be children, teenagers, young moms, or seniors. Maybe you have a concern for the poor or for people with special needs. Maybe you have a heart for prayer or missions or sports. We want to help you find your passion for ministry. E is experience. What are the positive and negative experiences that have really shaped your life and your faith? There's nothing in your life that has happened which is wasted if you offer it to God. For instance, if you suffered a deep loss in life and you've experienced God's comfort because of the loss of a loved one, you may be well equipped, for example, to help others who are going through grief and also loss. If you're blessed to perhaps be one who grew up in a youth group that was really exciting. Well, maybe you want to help pass that on to the next generation. Ask God how he wants to turn your life experiences into ministry for others. A is anointing, your spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that every believer has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. There's none of us who are followers of Christ, who are believers in Christ, who don't have at least one spiritual gift. And there's some upfront gifts like teaching and also leading. Others are maybe those behind-the-surface gifts. 
those things like administration or maybe the gift of wisdom. Some gifts involve speaking, like evangelism and encouragement. And others are doing types of gifts, like mercy and hospitality. Altogether, there's about 26 spiritual gifts in the New Testament. If I were to ask you, what are your top three spiritual gifts that you may think you have? Would you be able to tell me? R stands for relationships. How are you wired relationally? Do you like to work alone or to work in teams? Are you more of a leader or a follower? If you're good with strangers, for example, and you're easy to connect with people, well, you might be a great greeter in our hospitality committee that we have. If, on the other hand, you like deeper relationships with a few people, well, you may be a great small group leader. And maybe a mentoring type of thing could be best for you of a particular person. Knowing your relational style, that can help you find your right kind of ministry. And T is talent. What are your natural skills? The education that you've been learning in different areas. How about your own professional expertise? Maybe it's even a hobby that you like to have. God didn't give us those talents and interests just for ourselves to make a living and to serve our own good. He wants us to use those for his kingdom. Ministry isn't just about Bible teaching and things like evangelism. If you've got technical IT skills or with media, there's a number of places that you can help out. Even if you just know how to use a PC mouse and a keyboard, you could work the screens here and help with worship, just like Matt's doing this morning and others. It only takes an hour, and you can be totally trained on it. Now, four-year program. Yeah. If you're good at food events, like baking or cooking, well, maybe it's event planning, data entry, or perhaps even mentoring children with certain disabilities. There's so many things that are often needed within a church like ours and others. Thinking about these five categories here can really help you identify your heart for ministry. And it can help you find a fruitful and satisfying way to serve your Lord. That's so important, not only for the church, but for you personally. And now that we're past a, a major health crisis, too, these past years, well, there is every reason that God would want each of us to be able to be used in a special way, to build up that body of Christ, the church, to be a growing church. We're not a small church or a startup church, but we can still even grow more as God gives us these opportunities to be able to serve. Areas of ministry that the Lord is calling each of us, just as he even called his prophets and his disciples and his apostles and others. So let's not lose any time in exploring how God can use each of us to be able to be uniquely there for ministry. And then let's use those gifts for his kingdom and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us this day. 
And as you've called us through the power of the death of Christ and his resurrection, he who lives in us, may he live through us, Lord. And as Jesus had compassion and mercy on all and was out there in the streets and everywhere reaching out to people, give us that same heart, Lord, that we may go forth to let them know why we do what we do. It's because of who we are, Lord. And we are those redeemed children because of that blood of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.